Why, hello everyone, and welcome back to another chatting tonight. Tonight, I thought we'd chat about the subtle art of failing beautifully. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with this saying, and I'll paraphrase it. It's something along the lines of it takes about 10,000 hours of practice to be considered an expert in any field. And ladies and gentlemen, we have our expert. And no, it is not any current or former president of the United States. It is me. So let's get right into it, shall we? Hey, what do you want to do tonight? If you like, we could always chat all night. Let's chat about whatever we want to chat about. It's alright here. It's alright here. I'm chatting tonight. Chatting tonight is brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters and the Chatting Foundation. But what is failure exactly? Now, in this instance, I'm going to use the Wikipedia definition instead of the boring old dictionary because I really enjoy the more comprehensive uh, definition than the dictionary provides in this instance. So, failure is the state or condition of not meeting a desirable or intended objective and may be viewed as the opposite of success. The criteria for failure depends on context and may be relative to a particular observer or belief system. One person might consider a failure what another person considers a success, particularly in cases of direct competition or a zero-sum game. Similarly, the degree of success or failure in a situation may be differently viewed by distinct observers or participants, such that a situation that one considers to be a failure, another might consider to be a success, a qualified success, or a neutral situation. It may also be difficult or impossible to ascertain whether a situation meets criteria for failure or success due to ambiguous or ill-defined definition of those criteria. Finding useful and effective criteria or heuristics, which is any approach to problem solving or self-discovery that employs a practical method that is not guaranteed to be practical or rational, but is nevertheless sufficient for reaching a short-term goal or an approximation. To judge the success or failure of a situation may itself be a significant task. Ugh! Like, don't you just love that? It's not like cut and dried. It's this beautifully, you know, full of depth definition, just depending on your point of view. What is failure? I love that. Failing beautifully is about giving your very best to whatever it is you want to accomplish and then being willing to live with the results. But if we're going to fail beautifully, and I know that can sound a bit like a contradiction, we need to understand what we can learn from failing. Now, as I stated earlier, I do actually consider myself to be an expert on failing. Um, I have failed many, many, many times in my life, both personally and professionally, and I will continue to fail. 
And I'm okay with that. In truth, if I'm going to be honest with myself and you guys, I'm probably way more comfortable with failing than I ever would be with any type of like real success. Because failure gives us more opportunities to try. And I really love trying, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. And so it gives us these opportunities to try again without the pressure of the initial success. Although Winston Churchill does say success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. So maybe I am very successful at failing. So then in effect, I am actually a success. But speaking of enthusiasm, let's talk about a very famous failure before we talk about what we can learn from failure. Now, Van Gogh, by all intents and purposes, was a failure. He only sold one painting in his lifetime. That, however, did not put any damper on his enthusiasm for his art. He wrote, if you hear a voice within you say, you cannot paint, then by all means paint, and that voice will be silenced. Remember when we were in school and we'd walk into our classrooms with hopes and dreams of becoming doctors, lawyers, politicians, astronauts, scientists, authors, professional athletes, singer-songwriters, filmmakers, and business moguls, or was that just me and my dreams? <laughs> with little or to no resistance from outside sources, many of them told us to dream big, but few admitted that we could fail. It's easier to dream big when we're young because our failure awareness is rather low before we allow limitations to hold us back. Kids can dream uninterrupted because failure has not become something that they fear. Perhaps some part of us should never grow up because as we grow up, failure becomes this invisible force that keeps us from doing the things we once dreamed of accomplishing. Our minds fill with excuses every time an opportunity to pursue a dream comes our way. And before we know it, we find ourselves settling for what we have to do instead of what we get to do. We move from dreaming as children to surviving as adults. We give ourselves full permission to accommodate average living because it's safer than taking a risk on something that could fail. If we're honest, the biggest reason we don't pursue our dreams is because the distance between our dreams and our reality is often intimidating. And intimidation thoughts often sound like this. What if it's not good? What if nobody likes it? Who do you think you are trying to do that? I don't have a degree for that. I don't have the money for that. I don't know how websites work or what is email marketing. <sighs> and if we didn't have the kids now, I would totally. Here's what I know about you and me. We have mastered the art of talking ourselves out of being brave. We all do this because we'd rather tell ourselves that we're not good enough to do what we dream of doing before somebody else does. But that's a horrible way to live. Something magical could happen when you stop being afraid to be critiqued. And we should never miss out on the life we dream of having because of what others might say about the dream. The reality for me and you is that we are gonna spend the next five years at least of our lives doing something, whether it's average or extraordinary. So here's how I see it. We've got a long line of people in our world trying to chase success, but in all reality, every successful person you follow, look up to, or admire has one thing in common, failures. And yet each and every one of them became the successful people they are, not in spite of, but because of those misfires, flops, and failures. 
So what makes the rest of us dare to think that we should run away from the very things that made them who they are? What's worse, failing while trying or failing by not trying? Theodore Roosevelt said, Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered in failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. We all have something we'd love to do, but fear of failure often keeps us from moving toward who we could become. This becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as we avoid going after things wholeheartedly, ultimately leading to failure by default. And that is some excerpts from Chasing Failure by Ryan Leake with myself thrown in for good measure. John F. Kennedy said, those who dare to fail miserably can achieve greatly because failure is not defeat. When we fail, we learn, we grow, we add more to our character, whether we want to or not. We get new perspectives. We get to learn our weaknesses, but more importantly, our strengths. Failure allows the unique opportunity to examine what works or what didn't work even more so than success. It can foster your critical and analytical thinking skills, allowing you to innovate, redirect, and try another way to execute something. It can help you consider an option you otherwise wouldn't have considered if you would have succeeded so easily the first time. Perhaps an even better option. Because redirection can help you discover those more successful options. It could be one of the greatest opportunities to reroute you into a direction that maybe you've always dreamed of or a direction you may have never even considered, which could be even cooler. Susan Fishman explores this more with an article in Psych Central. She writes, accepting that failure is inevitable is one thing. Learning from failure and moving past it is another, especially when the failure is fresh. For many, learning from failure takes time and perspective. So don't beat yourself up, little kittens, if you're butthurt about a failure. It takes time. You're cool. You'll get there. But when we can look at our failures from a place of curiosity, they can be our greatest teachers, says clinical psychologist Dr. Shauna Pollard. And Einstein put it nicely when he said, success is failure in progress. Yes. Paying attention to where we went wrong can help us fine-tune our process before we try again, Pollard says. And here's some lessons from failure. Number one, emotional intelligence. Failing comes with a range of emotions. When you fail, you might feel guilty for letting people down, relieved you don't have to complete such a big task anymore, nervous to have to try again, anxious about the future and what it might mean to try again, ashamed for failing, especially if you feel pressure from friends or family to succeed, disappointed in yourself because you had higher expectations for yourself, Grateful that you have the experience and to be able to learn from it. Failures can bring a greater sense of emotional awareness. You might have felt sad or the many emotions that come with failure for a long time, explains Katie Ziskind, marriage and family therapist and trauma specialist out of Connecticut. It might also help you 
develop a sense of self-love, she adds, as you might need to listen and respond compassionately to yourself or perhaps manage unrealistic expectations. And Maya Angelou says, courage allows the successful woman to fail and learn powerful lessons from the failure so that in the end, she didn't fail at all. Number two, humility. When you fail, most folks often have to ask for help, which can be a lesson in humility and also an opportunity to grow on an interpersonal level. A 2020 study of full-time employees found that intrinsic motivation and self-determination predict learning from failures. This in turn leads to enhanced self-development. The research found a combination of internal motivation and determination means employees who are more dedicated to their jobs and get satisfaction from learning new skills are more likely to utilize feedback from failures to improve their performance and productivity. The study also found that managers can help employees learn from their failure through caring and compassionate leadership. And this can also translate into you being your own manager. It can be cathartic to fail because it puts you in a humble position at the bottom of the ladder, notes Ziskind, where you can embrace a beginner's mindset, realizing you don't know much or need help from a teacher to learn more about a given area or skill set can be helpful for growing humility. Number three, resiliency. Failing can teach you how to bounce back. It can help you discover that you won't fall apart that you have what it takes to get back up and go at it again. These sentiments are fruits of resilience. Recognizing when you are failing and picking yourself up from there is a key skill in overcoming the failure itself, says Ziskin. In her book, Daring Greatly, how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead, Brene Brown, a research professor at the University of Houston who studies courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy, talks about the importance of learning from failure at a young age. Raising children who are hopeful and who have the courage to be vulnerable means stepping back and letting them experience disappointment, deal with conflict, learn how to assert themselves, and have the opportunity to fail. If we're always following our children into the arena, hushing the critics and assuring their victory, they'll never learn that they have the ability to dare greatly on their own. And the great American philosopher and also traveling salesman of soap for the, I wanna say Lanskin Soap Company, maybe Larskin, Anywho, Albert Hubbard said, there is no failure except in no longer trying. Number four, empathy. To overcome failure, it's essential to understand that it's a part of being human, notes Ziskin. A failure can make you want to quit and can paralyze some people, she notes. Failure presents an opportunity to develop and practice the skill of emotional resiliency. A typical response to failure is self-blame or an attempt to gain something positive from the experience. But it's important to approach failure with empathy, giving yourself the understanding that it's okay to fail. 
You can learn to accept setbacks by reminding yourself that life is messy and by no means are you meant to be perfect. It's important to separate failure as a process from how we view ourselves as individuals, adds Pollard, who works on reframing with many of her clients. We are not failures, even though we may have failed at a task. As I so unabashedly said earlier in the podcast, I have failed a lot, um, a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm not crying. My very first business failure as a mere child was when I came up with this groundbreaking idea to sell perfume out of like those little, um, like half scallop shells and like tiny little muscle shells that you find that like sometimes have like the top still on it, but it doesn't like close all the way uh, out in front of my house. And uh, needless to say, this did not, um, it did not go well. There were some uh, obvious flaws that did not occur to me at the time. The only positive thing to come out of the whole debacle was that I was way too young to feel shame or even blame myself for this really utterly terrible idea. I mean, like it's like, oh, oh, you, you don't want like Love's Baby Soft, uh, Jovan Musk, or uh, Chanel Number no. Five in an open, tiny half scallop shell. Or maybe like six drops in a teeny tiny little muscle shell with the lid that doesn't even close. Yet yeah, I, I just—it's shocking that that was a bust. Blaming ourselves or shaming ourselves or berating ourselves accomplishes very, very little, except that it like really bums ourselves out. Our reaction to failure has an effect and an influence not only on our self-esteem, but it also helps us determine whether we even try again. Think of the last time you failed at something. The what is not particularly pertinent in this case. Was it a presentation? Hell, even a new recipe? What was the cause? Chances are you have a reason, and it may take a moment to reflect back, but eventually an explanation emerged. If we have one thing that sets us apart from the animals, it's our ability to tell stories. And in this case, it isn't to entertain, but to serve a purpose. We use them to tie up loose ends, to create a cohesive story that we can accept. We need it for closure. More than likely, when I asked you about your latest failure, your explanation involved things that happened recently. Like, let's take the recipe, for example. So what you made turned out like shite because you didn't have all the ingredients. But think back as to how many other times something similar has happened. Maybe it's yes, because you didn't have all the ingredients. But maybe the better answer is that you rushed through reading the recipe without taking the time to plan it out. This is very similar to the recency effect. It's our internal bias to assign causation to the problems we encounter. Our minds work best in assigning causation in a straightforward manner. This, then that. It provides us with immediate answers, and our need for that is so strong that we will reach for whatever is closest. 
When it comes to understanding both failure and success, it's important to reject the recency effect. Learn to develop the ability to just take a step back, a clinical step back even. This allows us to dig a little bit deeper to find the actual cause. And it can also keep us from playing the blame game, not only with ourselves, but with others. Even if we are strong-willed enough to resist the urge for that immediate recent answer, how we assign blame matters. The word blame and shame, I'm going to use them both like kind of interchangeably, has a negative connotation. When it's used, we think of assigning blame to a person where we are attaching fault to a person. We attach this fault to a person's self-concept, essentially attacking that person's inner conception of themselves. But if we look at what we are doing when we assign blame, it's the creating a reason for an outcome. And how we do that gives us insight into how resilient an individual is. As psychologist Jim Davies states in his book, Riveted, when we are successful, we tend to attribute it to our stable traits. For example, I'm smart. Or to behaviors, I'm a hard worker. When something bad happens to us, we blame the situation. Our desire to blame is largely ego-driven. We need to protect ourselves from attacks and boost our self-concept when we succeed. But it turns out that our natural reactions tend to follow a pattern. Researchers have divided an individual's reaction to failure as either a rebounder or an evader. The difference largely centers on where they assign the blame. When we blame external circumstances, we protect our own ego or self-concept. If we can blame someone or something for our performance, then we sidestep from having to deal with it. It wasn't my fault is the common story we tell to make ourselves feel better. The connotation is that if it wasn't your fault, then you have nothing to learn from it. It takes us out of learning mode, signaling the brain that we have an answer to our question and we can simply move on without changing anything. This behavior commonly reflects an evader, someone who evades assigning blame to themselves or their actions. On the flip side, we have rebounders who generally take an introspective approach where they attempt to learn from their failures. The key difference here is learn. They don't assign their self-worth to their performance and realize that the goal should be how to figure out how to improve for the next time. Therefore, they take an investigative approach looking for the cause. Now, all of this being said, it's likely that we need to have the ability to both evade and rebound. After all, failure is going to be due to external factors on occasion, and constantly assigning all the blame to yourself is a recipe for self-doubt and a loss of confidence if you are constantly failing, which is okay. The goal shouldn't be to adopt either way exclusively, but to understand the implications. If your mind keeps telling you, I'm a failure, know that it's possible to ease these thoughts and move toward positive self-talk. And the first thing I want you to do is to get up, go to a mirror, look at yourself in it, look at yourself hard, and then I want you to smack yourself across the face like you are Cher and Moonstruck and tell yourself to snap out of it. Now, of course, Janelle Cox may have some better advice. 
She writes, everyone has times when things don't go according to plan, whether it's relationship tension or not getting a promotion. When you fall short of achieving a goal, it's easy to feel let down. Comparing yourself to others or having low self-esteem can also drive feelings of failure to an extreme. You may start to think you've never really succeeded and you aren't good at anything. Your inner voice might be saying you failed at life in general. Thinking that you failed feels bad. So many people try to avoid it at all costs. But rather than avoiding failure, there are ways to minimize these overwhelming feelings. Learning how to cope with perceived failures offers a more positive outlook on life and yourself when things don't go as planned. One potential reason for feeling like a failure is that you are not meeting the expectations that you set for yourself. This then leads to a shame, anger, guilt, self-blame cycle that is hard to snap out of. Even traditionally successful people can get into this cycle, sometimes due to imposter syndrome. Feeling like a failure or like you're not good enough also stems from comparing yourself to others. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to those around us and immediately feel as though we have failed in one way or another. When you see someone on social media who has a great family and job, a nicer house than you, or takes enviable trips around the world, it's easy to look at yourself as falling short after comparing yourself to them. Oh, that reminds me of, I'm old, so... um, there was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and it was a very popular show, okay? Caviar wishes and champagne dreams, or something like that. And I remember a billion years ago that psychologists were saying, it's better for your mental health if you don't watch shows like that. And I couldn't agree more. Whether your failures are real or only your perception, your feelings are still very real. Some people can fail time and time again and yet bounce back better than before. Others constantly fend off harmful self-talk and develop a fear of failure. Maybe you've even stopped trying or have lowered your goals in order to lessen the chance of failure. This pattern of thinking about yourself negatively can be caused by expectations from parents and caregivers as a child, highly critical or extremely successful parents or close family members depression, or other unresolved mental health conditions, perfectionism, internalized societal or cultural norms, and low self-esteem. Many of the above causes can lead to basing self-worth on what you do rather than who you are. This core belief is often formed in childhood. While its roots are often deep, this core belief and feelings of never measuring up can be overcome. The solution is to take steps to try and learn how to deal with feelings of failure in healthy ways. Knowing how to deal with it can help you cope and bounce back better and quicker than before. When it comes to pursuing something outside of our comfort zone, the largest emotional hurdle any of us faces is shame. Shame and failure often go hand in hand. The technical term for fear of failure is atychophobia. The American Psychological Association defines atychophobia as the persistent and irrational anxiety about failing to measure up to the standards and goals set by oneself or others. This may include anxiety over academic standing, losing a job, sexual inadequacies, or loss of face and self-esteem. Why is this? 
Studies show that individuals with a high degree of fear of failure view these events as judgment-oriented experiences. For you, it's not just your reputation or job on the line, but your entire identity. And when your identity is at risk, you enter survival mode. Fear looks at the future through the lens of failure, and the end result is an emotional, mental, and spiritual black hole with a one-word name, shame. Though fear is often the first offender, shame is the real killer. Shame's banner campaign is not you failed, but you are a failure. Failure is an event, not an outfit. Just because you went there doesn't mean you have to wear it. Instead of being a stepping stone to success, its primary redeemable quality, failure becomes an unacceptable outcome when paired with shame. To preserve every shred of self-worth and dignity possible, you strictly hedge against any opportunity to experience a future failure. The real twist comes when your avoidance of failure feels like a failure itself. This is when the spiral really, well, spirals. You're stuck between a rock and an even bigger rock. If you try and fail, shame will catch you, which your brain tells you is an inevitable outcome. If you don't try, the lack of effort is in itself failure and shame is right there to greet you all the same. Shame isn't random. There are specific events, moments, and even people that can be shame triggers for us. We all have different ones. For some of us, shame is triggered when we see other people getting complimented. I call this phantom discouragement. It's when someone compliments your friend's work, so then you believe yours is trash. Nobody said your work was garbage, but because you didn't hear that your contribution added value, you then believe it has none. There are three things you can do to fight against shame. Number one, don't expect perfection. When we expect ourselves to be perfect, which is impossible, it sets us up to experience more shame when we fail or do something wrong. Number two, be careful not to shame others. What contributes to us shaming ourselves is that we often shame others. We judge others at a standard neither they nor even we can live up to. If we think rather negatively of others when they fall short, we will naturally play our own tapes of judgment for ourselves when we fall short. I'm not suggesting we lower our standards. I'm merely suggesting that we give others the break we would all love to have. Because by not doing so, we're actually sabotaging ourselves. We're subconsciously creating a cancerous standard that leaves us disappointed with others and ourselves. You have the ability to release shame off of someone else, and when you do so, it actually contributes to removing shame off of yourself as well. Number three, be aware of your own self-talk. What have you been telling yourself lately? What tape have you been playing? What voice have you been replaying over and over? What negative statement have you been agreeing with lately? The art of self-compassion is important when dealing with shame. Spending years trying to get others to accept you before you accept yourself is a recipe for disaster. Self-compassion is not giving yourself excuses for why you failed. Self-compassion is an awareness that you are human when you fail. And to quote Samuel Beckett, 
Try again. Fail again. Fail better. Fail beautifully. He didn't say that part. I did. We are finally at my favorite part. No, not the indorks. Okay, that's your favorite part. My favorite part is the trying part. We are at the trying part. Because when we explore and satisfy our curiosity, our brains release more dopamine and we feel happier. We find moments of joy simply by trying. And according to research, maintaining a healthy degree of neophilia, which is defined as a love or enthusiasm for something new, can be a key to greater happiness. Trying is a part of the human condition. And trying is such a willpower that it doesn't care about what is impossible or possible. Charlie Chaplin said, failure is unimportant. It takes courage to make a fool of yourself. And trying something new often requires courage and needing to summon courage is itself a benefit. Once it's released, it will, like its second cousin once removed anger, indiscriminately engulf everything in its path. How wonderful to open a flood of courage and be carried on its waves to destinations of unexpected benefit. Trying something new opens up the possibility for you to enjoy something new. Entire careers, life paths are carved out by people dipping their toes into small ponds and suddenly discovering a love for something they had no idea would capture their imaginations. Trying something new keeps you from becoming bored. Trying something new forces you to grow. We don't ever grow from taking action we've always taken. The growth that enabled us to be able to take it has already occurred. Growth seems to require we take new action first. Whether it's adopting a new attitude or a new way of thinking or literally taking new action. Thrusting yourself hip-wise into new situations and leaving yourself there alone, so to speak, often forces beneficial change. A spirit of constant self-challenge keeps you humble and open to new ideas that very well may be better than the ones you currently hold dear. Remember to recognize the things that you did accomplish. And if you can, try and use any external, not internal, okay? Because I know you're going to be mean to yourself Try not to do that. Try. That's all we can ask of ourselves. Try and use some external criticism to grow. Remember, failure is just a state of mind. It's not a state of actually being, okay? You're not perfect. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. You know, people admire perfection, but they can't even relate to it because imperfection actually breeds connection. When we fall for the trap of believing it has to be perfect, we have sold out to the notion that we have something to prove. You have nothing to prove. Not to your parents, not to your friends, not to your boss, your colleagues, not to the teacher who didn't believe in you, not to your ex. I'll say it again for the people in the back. You have nothing 
to prove. Remember, don't fear failure so much that you refuse to try new things because the saddest summary of a life contains these descriptions. Could've, might've, should've. favorite part, the end. I want to thank all of you so much for taking the time to listen today. I can only hope that maybe, just maybe, you feel a little bit better about any failures that you might have encountered. And maybe, just maybe, are left feeling with a newfound determination to just try. As Ruth Gordon so elegantly stated in that last clip, otherwise, you got nothing to talk about in the locker room. Now, get the hell out of here and try your little motherfucking hearts out. Number two, humility. When you fail, most people often have to ask for help which can be a lesson in humility and an opportunity to grow on an interpersonal level. A 2020 study of full-time employees, 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 